Eggs before beauty. Yeah. Well, my first impression of him was like, I thought he was a cool guy, you know. You know, well, he is a cool guy, but, you know, so my impression was right, I think. Yeah, I'd say a lot of people do that, try to act cooler or whatever, because they're with their friends or with their... Trying to act like yeah. something that yeah. they're not. Yeah, try to act like, yeah, whatever. Oh, I gave him a chance because um, he didn't come up to me, like, all with all that blood stuff and all that. He just came up to me cool, like, that's why I was like, oh, this was cool. So, ever since then, we've been homies. Yeah. Black and Mexican could get along. Yeah, that's what I think, too. You know, we need to get along in the world, but, you know, ain't no point living with each other if we just gonna kill each other, you know? Just seeing these relationships that exist in the life of our church is so moving. It's what Christ can do in and among us if we'll let him. Well, right now we want to hear a little bit about that, particularly from God's word. James chapter 1. There are a number of texts throughout the Bible that I call boil-down texts. They take the whole of scripture, what God has said about himself, about the world and about us, and then they boil it all down. And then this is one of those that tells us that what true Christian faith is all about is, what it looks like in a community. It's a hard-hitting text. I only read a little bit of it. I don't have much time today, so what I'll have to do is come back to it someday. But let's hear God's word standing, remembering that the word that we hear is not our own, but the word of the maker of the universe. James chapter 1. We'll begin with verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here, here's a good seat for you. But say to the poor man, oh, you stand there. You, you sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves? Now notice that phrase again. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Down to verse 12. So speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And this is the word of God.
Thanks be to God. We call it Community Outreach Weekend. Now, I think all people who are followers of Jesus know that any church that has Jesus as its Lord must reach out into its community. It, it must tell people about Jesus and call them to trust him. And if it's going to be consistent with how Jesus lived, it must reach out in compassion and bring blessing and good news to sometimes people who are hurting. Now, all, all Christians know this. There was one group back in the 20th century, the early part of the 20th century in the United States that didn't think so. In fact, there was sort of a division. One group who said, all we have to do is, is preach the gospel and tell people about Jesus. And another group over here that said, no, 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 don't tell people about Jesus. Just, just do good things for them. But, but neither one of those is what the, the Bible teaches. What happened in about the 1950s, I think, is people started reading the Bible again. And what, you, what do you see there? You, you see the life of Jesus, who came to give his life so that people could have their sins forgiven. But also, as you walked how he lived, he loved people. And when he saw people who were hurting or cut off from society, he always reached out and touched them with, com with, with compassion. Uh, and in the early church, when they were having some theological disputes, you can read about it in the early part of the uh, book of Acts. There was one place, and, and I can imagine this, they were finding it hard to figure out how God was bringing this family together. How on earth were Jew and non-Jew, Jew and Gentile, actually going to be in one family? They had a tough time with this. And so the Apostle Paul and a man named Barnabas were told, you can go ahead and go out and bring, uh, preach the gospel to Gentiles and bring them into the family. But then they would say this, and you can read about it in Galatians chapter 2, but when you go and preach the gospel, if you're going to be consistent with the life of Jesus, you must also remember the poor which Paul said we were glad to do. And so community outreach, bringing the gospel, reaching out in compassion to hurting people, that, that's simply a part of what it means to be a community of people with Jesus Christ as the Lord. Now we're going to think about that just for a few moments today as we're going to be focusing on that James 1 text. But one of the things I want to drive home is this, that when Christians, when a church like Lake Avenue Church actually reaches out to its community with the gospel and with compassion. It's different from just some social agency. What's different? Well, one part is obviously we're motivated because we know we're just people who have seen mercy. And so we're just thankful. We're not doing it to try to, to make ourselves feel good. We're doing it in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ ourselves. But second, there's something else different. And there is a man in a wonderful commentary, his name is Solomon Andrea, who, talking about James chapter 1, wrote in the Africa Bible Commentary, a commentary put together by African uh, exegetes and theologians. And in summarizing the meaning of this text, look at what he says. Pure Christianity, I mean the real thing, what, what James calls true religion, Genuine Christianity is, is not just a non-governmental organization. It's not just an NGO doing social work. The compassionate one done by Christian believers is the product of their faith. The religion is characterized by the Christ-like lives of its members 
And the goal is that the rich, the poor, and the in-between all become a part of one eternal family. So, the faith placed in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ results in an unexpected family, all of whom live together in such a way that God is glorified. Now, is that too wordy for you? Do you see what he's saying? He's saying that when we reach out to our community, it's not just sort of ministry out there. We'll we'll just do something to help them out there. What, What is supposed to happen is that out there no longer remains out there. A new family is formed, an unlikely family, where those who are hurting out there see the impact of the gospel. Learn that it's Jesus who did it. Are called to believe and become a part of the family. Do you see that? It's altogether different. And that is what happens in the book of James. We're just going to walk through it quickly. But if you have your Bible in front of you, one of the things I have to point out is to see this. You have to get rid of that chapter division between chapters 1 and 2. Okay, churchgoers, do you know that those chapters weren't put in there by the first writers of the Bible? Do you know that when it was written there were no chapters or verse divisions? I'm sure glad they're there. It would sure be hard to find verses if we didn't have them, right? But the chapter divisions were put in like the 12th century. And the verse divisions were put in the 16th century. So sometimes, the point is this, sometimes when we read the Bible, we've just got to read all the way through it and not have a break. And that's what we find take place in James chapter 1. See, in James chapter 1, really the hub of the text that I read from verse 27 all the way to 2.17, the hub, the thing that holds it together is chapter 2, verse 1. As my brothers, talking about this family that has been brought together, As believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, your lives are to be different. What does it look like? Well, that's what this text is talking about. What genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ looks like. I'm going to make four statements about that. Then we're going to stop for just a moment. First, this genuine Christianity, this, this real, pure, true religion that James talks about. Begins with, and it requires, belief in the Lord Jesus. See, it's not just social work uh, generated by our own activity. It's not just that I'm going to do good works and everybody's going to see what a good person I am. No, we're going to recognize that we are people who desperately have needed the mercy of God, right? I've talked about it so often. The main motivation for us living as Christians is gratitude for the mercy of God. And if you come to church this morning and uh, you are not just deeply grateful that you can be in the family, you say, Father, I can't believe that I get to join together with these other people and bow my knee before you as my father in relationship, then we're going to have trouble with the sermon. Because true believers have come to recognize that apart from the grace of God, there'd be no hope for me. And that includes your pastor. That's what that verses 12 and 13 are all about. They're tough when you read them. We'll come back to them someday. But we are people who speak and act as those who know that if we just stood under the law, we've fallen short. So mercy's been shown to us. I'll tell you, when you're just so thankful for the mercy of God, then when you see another person who's in trouble, 
It might need a little mercy and it need a little help. It's just a response to the fact that we've received mercy. So, so the beginning, the beginning of Christian living is belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. It starts there. Now, second, when we have trusted this glorious Lord Jesus, I love the way he puts it in chapter two, verse one. When we have trusted this glorious Lord Jesus, that faith in Jesus is going to flow into, according to James, a life that's characterized more by, I'm calling it the kingdom of God than by the ways of the world. We, we once were living our own lives, just doing whatever we wanted, and it wasn't working. Then, then we just fall upon the grace of God, and we say, my life is yours, I trust you. And that life is going to be characterized more by God's reign in our lives. We're going to seek his ways, seek his kingdom, much more than just saying, what is everybody else in the world doing? And that's what chapter 1, if you pull back from chapter 2, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 27, the last phrase is about. The religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, in that last phrase, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Uh, for note takers, this is what theologians have called the inner effect of the gospel. That when we have received the gospel, God gives a spirit to us and begins doing a work in our lives. And one of those works is those, those very things that the world is doing that are wrong and that we know that are wrong and that we've often engaged in. We give them to him and he begins to transform our lives. Third statement I want to make. When we have trusted Jesus, he's forgiven us of our sins. We've received mercy. He's brought us into the family. That, that faith is going to flow into a life of radical generosity. A life of radical generosity. What's it going to look like? It's going to look like the generosity of God to us. And that's what he gets at in verse 27. The religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look out into your community. And to look after orphans and widows in their distress. You have to remember that the... Um, the that James was writing in the first century world and the orphans and the widows were the two groups of people most in need in the ancient world. I've sometimes wondered that if this letter were being written specifically to us in this community, what things he would talk about, maybe to those uh, young people in our community who are trying by their all their strength to get out of gangs, maybe to the young people in our community um, who have been separated from their families and they're wanting so much to go to college and wondering how to do it. I, I wonder what James would put here. He would certainly say, all right, uh, God has planted his family right here at Lake Avenue Church. And he wants people who are given to the Lord Jesus Christ to have eyes open for those who are in distress in your community. And you look after them. And whatever I have entrusted to you, know it's just a stewardship. Use it. To bring my blessing and good news to the people around you. This is what the early church did. I, I put this in the worship folder. I've shown it to you before. But as the church was exploding in the first several centuries, there were some of the Roman emperors who tried to squelch it. In fact, tried to kill all Christians. But you know what happened? The, the, the church kept growing. <laughs> the church kept growing. And there was one letter of complaint that the emperor Julian sent to a priest in the third century because he was so frustrated 
that he couldn't get rid of these Christians. Now, why is it that he couldn't stomp them out? Look at what he said in this letter. He said, their success lies in their charity to strangers. These godless Galileans, that's what, that's what he called Christians, because they didn't worship all the many gods of the Roman world. These godless Galileans, these followers of Jesus, they support both their own poor and ours as well. So, so do you see what happened? The people who were touched by the love of God came into the family of God. And the people who saw this said there's something different about those people. And they came to the Christ who had changed their lives. It, it was just a part of it. That's the third statement. So that for us, if we're going to be consistent with the work of God, if we're going to be consistent with what God has done in the church throughout the centuries, we are going to know he has planted us here. And if we're going to live genuine Christianity, it's going to be a life characterized by radical generosity. And then fourth, and the part that I just wanted to show you sets us apart from just social agencies, that this genuine Christianity results in the believer, all believers, becoming a part of an unlikely family. I have to pause there. You know, I talk so fast sometimes, the most important point is missed. So I'm going to pause so you'll listen to me here. That this is what sets us apart and will draw people to Christ. That it's not just ministry out there. It's not just do-gooding, though it is good deeds. But it's a response to the love of Christ that says you can come into the family. You can belong. Look at the way that, Paul, uh, that James talks about it. Chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers. Now, in this family, he says, as, as brought together as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, in this new family, don't show favoritism. And then he paints a story. And there are three groups of people. Okay, the first. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, dressed as well as Pastor Albert was this morning. <laughs> he walks in, and you say, you're, you're going to get the best place, and we're going to target you for leadership in this church. Uh, you know, that, that, that's what we would think. And at the same time, second, a poor man in shabby clothes comes in. All right. In a family... If you show attention to the man wearing the fine clothes and say, hey, here's the best seat for you and the opportunities for you. But you say to the poor man, someplace here, maybe back there where nobody can see you, you won't embarrass us. He says, what is that? That's not faith in Christ. You have discriminated, and I pointed this out when I read it, among yourselves. You've been brought into this unity together. A family, one family. And you're acting as if some people aren't full members of the family. You have Three groups. The rich man, the poor man, and those of us who are believers in the family. And what happens when people come to trust? First of all, when people come in, we'll show them the compassion of Christ and we will point them to faith in Jesus. And when they trust, it results in the compassion not just being ministry out there, but we become a part of one another. A very unlikely family. Uh, something that I think the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 13, that when the world sees it, they will know this is not just a social club. They will know that God is in this place. It's kind of like what happened when Zacchaeus came to faith in Luke 19. He was that tax collector and sinner. 
And when he came in Jesus, and, and responded to Jesus, and everybody was complaining, <laughs> who is this man? If he's in the family, I don't want to be. And Jesus just declares, this man, too, is a child of Abraham. Do you see what he's saying? This man, too, belongs in the family. It's something that our world needs to see. Something that I'm praying that here at Lake Avenue Church will happen more and more and more. That those walls that separate people from people are seen to be down in Christ Jesus. Let me show you one more clip and then I'm going to come back for just a moment and try to apply it to us. My name is Dwight Tudor, and I'm older than these three fellows. And we've been together now for going on two years. I decided to go with him because he looked fun and nice and stuff like that. When I first saw Dwight, I thought um, he was going to be strict. When I first met Dwight, he was, he was like... He looked confident, and he looked like he was actually going to help me. So at my school, I decided to run for vice president because everybody knew me at the time. I thought it was very complimentary that he would come and ask for some help, and I was pleased to do it. And we talked about his presence and how he delivered. We worked hard on He was kind of quiet at that time, and he needed to project a little more, so we spent time not only on what he was going to say, but how he was going to say it. He's, like, always there for us. Like, when we get in trouble, he comes and explains, like, don't do it. Like, next time, do it better and stuff like that. Well, he's playful, but he he tells us, like, you have to, you have to do something to achieve. I'm, I'm happy that he helped me with my homework and my grades went up. I want to go to college, uh, get my degree for cooking, because I want to be a chef when I grow up. I want to go to college to get a degree to be an, an actor. I want to go to college, and um, I want to work at a store so um, I can earn some money and my life won't be hard. Knowing that somewhere that you've been able to touch them, and help them in making the tough decisions that they make every day. And the other side of it, they've helped me grow. The things I like about Dwight, and he cares about me, and he wants the best for me. Amen. I want to show you again, when God is done putting this family together, what he said it's going to look like. Uh, folks who come to church often, you're going to begin to wonder if there are any other verses in the Bible I like. But we just have to keep in front of us what God is doing in this world, right? When it's done, John could look around and see what he was a part of. After this, he said, I looked and there was before me this great multitude. It was so big that no one could count from every nation tribe, people, and language. They were standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice. This is that gratitude. 
I didn't do it. Salvation belongs to our God, the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See, this is the family that Christ gave his life to establish. Amen? This is the family that you and I have the privilege, through faith in Jesus, to be a part of. And I keep asking the question, and I want you to ask it with me all the time. What does this local representation of that family look like here in Pasadena? What does it look like? How can we become what God has said his family is? How can we be what we are? Well, that's what today is about. I'd like to have the executive director of our uh, foundation, Lake uh, Avenue Church, and one of our pastors, John Wilson, come. John, I thought I would just make three statements. I've already told you these before, so they won't surprise you. And then uh, perhaps have you comment or help us to see whether they are true or helpful. Uh, First, I've come to the conclusion that relationship is necessary if we're actually going to become this kind of family. Do you know what I mean by that? That we have to be in relationship with people different from ourselves. It has to cross lines that maybe we wouldn't naturally cross of socioeconomics or age. I mean, Dwight was a little bit older than that. He was 80 and they were, all their combined ages. That was uh, less than Dwight's. And yet you see what happens. John, it just seems to me that we have to be there in the lives of people, see people made in God's image, see the hope for them in order to make a difference. And that's a part of what you're doing in the foundation, yeah, right? Yeah. Relationship is critical. I would say that it is uh, not just an optional activity. I think that we as believers need to, are called to be in relationship with those across an economic barrier. Uh, there's a man named Jack Jezreel. He has an organization called Just Faith who's had a really... Uh, strong impact on me in relationship to this teaching. And he talks about the agape love. He, he, he separates it out from the other types of love talked about in the Bible. But agape being that big love, that all-encompassing, outward-focused love for the just and the unjust, the righteous and the unrighteous. And that how as believers, we have that love. And that as that big love grows, big love has a tendency to lean toward it, the greatest need. Similar to water finding the lowest point, that big, that big agape love tends to lean toward the greatest need. And we see that all throughout the Bible. God being in the places that are most desperate, the most broken, the most wounded. Jesus, by his very own life example, like you described, was in the broken places, working with those who are wounded and hurting. And that is really our call as the church, to be, uh, to be literally demonstrating the presence of God in these broken places places. And so uh, we're called to be in relationship with one another. And it's, it's interesting because I, I think about that, that uh, by being in relationship with somebody across an economic barrier, I have, in a little bit of a selfish way, I have an opportunity to get in the way of God's grace. That, that I get to be a part of that. I get to see it happening because I'm in that place of relationship. And then it's in the context of that relationship that I grow. I'm going to take one of your pause moments here. That's right. Right. It's in the context of relationship that I grow and that I change, that I'm transformed in the context of that relationship. And as a result of my transformation and as a result of the person I'm in relationship with, as a result of their their transformation, the world changes. But the cool thing is we get to be a part of that together as friends. I look at these guys and these guys... They're both being transformed. 
And they're part of this big kingdom of God change that we desire to see together. And so it's a, it's a cool thing, but it needs to be in the context of relationship. And we have a vehicle to, oh, to help. We do. Yes. Thank you. In your worship folder, uh, you will see this little purple insert here. And there's a, a place for you to fill in your name and, and information. And it simply says, I want to explore my options to have an unlikely relationship. It doesn't say that you're committing to anything or that you're saying I'm you know, signing on the dotted line. It's just saying I want to explore my options and somebody will follow up with you to help you figure that out. Some of you, though, might already know. I want to be a part of the STARS program. I want to be a mentor. Uh, maybe I want to go. I, we've talked a couple times about the Royal Family Kids Camp that comes up with the, for the foster kids. Uh, 50 foster kids. They need counselors and they need people to help with craft, crafts. They need a nurse. Uh, they need different people like that to go with them on that week camp at the end of summer. So there's some ways to respond either by saying, I'm not really sure what this looks like or how it applies to me. Just check the box or maybe I know exactly what I want to do. But I would encourage you all to fill this in. And we're going to be uh, passing the offering place in a little bit, but you can drop that in there. Right. Uh, second uh, statement I want to make, John, is this. that, And I've been making it. That this local church must reflect our, our Father's church. Uh, we, we, we want the neighborhood then to know that they are welcome in this church. Mm-hmm. What, what we're talking about, yes, partly is compassion out there but this other side that just sets us apart is that the people to whom we go we say and do we have a family for you mm-hmm. and uh, to, in order to do that we have to sometimes leave the doors and go out and touch lives that's right? right yeah sometimes being a welcoming church means we need to go out and meet them i don't know if you've ever come into a party or something like that and no one says hi to you you ever been there who's been there yeah. i've been there yeah. okay that's a hard place to go but when people come to you and greet you and for us, it means possibly even going out beyond the walls of this church, as uh, Pastor Mario was talking about in the video, that makes a big difference. One of the places where we've seen that happen the best here at this church is in the student ministries department, uh, because we have a lot of students involved that were involved with the neighborhood. Uh, for a long time, it was sort of this us and them. We had the kids from the neighborhood coming to the church, and we had the church kids and the neighborhood kids, and, you know, kind of had that language. That doesn't exist anymore. The, the kids in the neighborhood, this is their church. This is their youth group. Amy and Chloe is a perfect example of that. This is Amy's church. And that's what we long for. We see, we see the reign of God among us when that happens. Yeah. And then uh, the last point I just want to make is, I do know this, that for us to become this kind of family, where different people serve and worship with one another, it means sacrifice probably on all of our parts. Uh, But at the same time, though we sometimes have to give up, well, that's not what I'm used to uh, in order to worship together and and show no favoritism to people. I think what happens is that we ourselves grow and become more than we would otherwise be. Do you know what I'm getting at there? My family is like that. I remember when I first got married, uh, that was one of the easiest adjustments of my life. Uh, But I felt like I grew and became more through that committed relationship. As God gave to us children, each time, both with Heather and then with Brandon, each time a child came in, at first it took an adjustment. Parents, do you remember that? That adjustment. And and, and each child is different. But what happens is, if we can be a functional family, we become more than we would otherwise be. And I'll tell you, that's true of our church. If, If indeed we become the church that the church is, 
uh, it will be more. And God, God's work in our lives personally will be more. And one of those sacrifices we know is that when God has blessed us financially, and I know some are going through tough times here, but when God has blessed us financially and we have the opportunity to touch the lives of those who are going through distress, we need to be able to give to support that. And, John, that brings us to the offering that's coming. Tell yeah. us about that. You know, one of the uh, one of the places where Lake Avenue Church has year after year been faithful is uh, supporting Lake Avenue Community Foundation. And the other uh, the, the, the specific area that, that we're going to talk about today is, is summer and summer camp and all the summer opportunities we have for students. Uh, about three years ago, we had uh, our own version of this James 2 passage, which is a rich man and the poor man, where. Uh, we had two camps that we sent kids to. The kids that came from the church went off to Hume Lake and Forest Home, places like that. And the students that work in the STARS program went to Salvation Army Camp. And uh, one of my greatest heartbreak moments is when I heard one of the STARS students uh, calling the camps Rich Kid Camp and Poor Kid Camp. Rich Kid Camp and Poor Kid Camp. And you know what? They were true. It was the truth. It was where we could afford to send... STARS students and families with greater means could afford to send their kids to forced home. Well, it was at that moment that we as an organization decided we were never going to do that again. We were committed to making sure that all the students got to go to camp together. We got to be able to take kids out to Wyoming, make sure that every student who wanted to go to Royal Family Kids Camp got to go to Royal Family Kids Camp to have the kind of life-transforming experience that happens at camp. Camp is special. I don't know about you. If you haven't gone to camp before, I'm so sorry that you missed out. God uses camp. It's one of those journey things. You know, as you grow in your faith, you just continue to have these life-transforming moments. And camp is one of those. And so we're committed. I, you know, I'm famous for saying that a, a week of camp is like a year of ministry. And it's true. So we're committed to making sure that as many of our students can get to camp, we want them to get there. Uh, the kids that you saw in the video, David... In that, the, the one with the uh, Latino boy and the African American boy, David, amazing life change last summer at Wyoming. Decided that it was time to, uh, to get out of the gang. And uh, with the help of Leo Hurtado, has made huge strides this year. Amazing life transformation takes place at camp, but it costs 500 bucks. $500 per, per person, quite frankly, to go out there. All the volunteers, it costs the same amount for everyone to go. Um, and we need to raise about $85,000 to make that happen. And so for some of you, you go, ah, $500, it's a lot of money. But anything, $20, $10, $100 would make a difference. For some of you, 500 is right in the spot. You can send a student off to a life-transforming experience. But there are others in this room who 5 or 10 would be the appropriate for you to consider as we, uh, as we take an offering uh, right now. Thank you so much, John. Now, you know that we are pressing toward bringing the budget year end to a a good conclusion. And that's why an offering like this must be important. And it seems to me that when we read the scriptures that we looked at this morning, we see why we want to emphasize particularly this aspect of our community outreach. So pray about what God would have you to do. And I'd like to have our ushers to come forward and let's pray together as we get ready to respond to whatever God is prompting you to do in your heart. Father, we are so thankful for these testimonies that we have heard. They're just a few of the many of what you are doing, and we thank you for the privilege that you've given us to participate either through our own lives in the community or even now through our giving. Give us great joy 
as we give to this your work and then empower through your spirit to do this gospel-centered work in the lives of many. In Jesus' name, amen.